Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. I used to faint when I see blood and I was going to be a doctor. So I thought, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, how am I going to be a doctor when I see blood and I faint? You know, it's just, mm. it was ridiculous. The person who recruited me, he said, he looked at my CV and he said, why are you applying for this job? It's the management of an institute, mm-hmm. a female institute. You don't have any management experience. Why are you applying? I said, try me for three months. If you don't like what I do, you know, you can. it's a trial. Mm-hmm. You can just tell me, okay, it didn't work out. Just let me go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, I stayed there for about five years. So if you take care of your team, make sure they're in the right position, provide the right environment for them. Just take care of them socially, mentally, financially, even in some cases. You know, they will give. They will give you what you need and they will help you succeed. They'll succeed and help you succeed. I would like to continue, you know, with with the Saudi government as well. Just bringing Saudi to the world Mm -hmm. and bringing the world to Saudi. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Welcome back to another episode of the Heron Code Women in Leadership podcast, where I'm joined by another accomplished multinational leader, bringing over 20 plus years of local experience working in the kingdom. Mona Althagafi has taken responsibility for the operational delivery of Serco's core offering of data, asset and workforce management, and is helping drive new business growth for Serco in Saudi Arabia. She does so much more, which we're going to get into this episode as well. Mona Althagafi, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, Glad to be here. Thrilled to have you. It's your first podcast episode as well. So we are absolutely (laughs) honored, Mona. Uh, Now for our listeners, you know how I like to do things. I like to go back in time and, and take things back to where it all started, Mona, if you will oblige. So you've accomplished so much over your time. And which we're definitely going to dive deeper into throughout this episode. But I would love to know from you. So you were born in Saudi, Mm -hmm. but your journey has been very different. It's been global and uh, you've traveled a lot for education and and for work. But where did it all start for you? Where did your drive, the dreams, the, the thinking bigger come from? So I'm, I was educated in the States. I lived there most of my life while I was with, um, with my parents when I, and during elementary uh, school. And then back again, um, took my studies, uh, college. Uh, I studied uh, college there in Stockton, California. Mm. So basically it all started from there. My education is kind of relatively different than what I'm working right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I, was, I studied mostly medical school. I graduated as a microbiologist. Oh, wow. So that's totally different yeah. than what I'm working yeah. right now. And when I graduated, I, uh, when I went back to the, to the kingdom, I lived in Jeddah and I just worked for one year in a hospital. It just didn't click. I didn't feel fulfilled, you know? Mm. Um, so I just wanted to, be, to do something different. And I, I remember I'm always begging my boss to give me some more work, give me something else to do. I'm just... I was, I lived, I mean, I worked in the laboratory, so it was kind of routine work, a lot yeah. of routine work. So he kept, you know, uh, giving me some management tasks and that's where it clicked. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do management. That's, that's how I, that's the career that I want. So I shifted totally mm. from medical to management 
business management and I did some business process re-engineering and it started from there. So that was like my pivoted moment in, in my career. Yeah. <laughs> which, which wasn't a career yet. It was just, uh, you know, it was just one year actually. Yeah. But you know what's interesting with that is most people who put years into education and, you know, especially traveling abroad to have their education, you would think and you would put pressure on yourself that this is it. I have to see this through. This has to be my True. career. Uh, you did not think that. There weren't a lot of choices mm. at my time. For women specifically in Saudi, you're either a teacher or a doctor. There weren't a lot of choices in management. Okay. There weren't a lot of choices. I actually wanted, when, when I graduated, I wanted to go into research, but mm-hmm. they didn't accept me because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. It was only, they said it's only for men right now. So, you know, maybe if, they, if I were accepted, it would have been taking a different career path. Mm-hmm. But the choices were not there. So, you know, when I started working... Uh, it just didn't click. I used to faint when I see blood and I was going to be a doctor. So I thought, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know, how am I going to be a doctor when I see blood and I faint? You know, it mm. just, it was ridiculous, you know, at that time. <laughs> I, I, I love that you were so self-aware though, you know, and yeah. I think that's, re- that's really important. And you were young and, and for someone to redirect themselves, it takes a lot of courage and it, you need to be brave, but you need to be a dreamer. So I want to ask you, when you were young, if if you can take me back, did you have a dream of what you wanted to be? When I you wanted were older? to be a doctor. Oh, did you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow! Yeah, so that, that was, was always the that idea. Was always, yeah, um, a pediatrician specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't work out. Mm. I, I just, I just didn't see myself when it came to that point. I just didn't see myself as a doctor. Mm. And tell me about your time in the States. Uh, A bit of a culture shift and shock from from the kingdom. How was that experience for you? Oh, oh, that was, I mean, you're you're looking back years ago, which is different now. If it were now, you won't see that culture shock. But Mm. at that time, there was, I mean, I used to cry. I wanted to ride my bike. I couldn't. It's just different you know, mm. different culture at that time. Nowadays, you don't see that difference no. with the with the internet and all that. So, but yeah, it was it was totally different. And I did want to go back to the states. I begged my parents, but of course, you know, that wasn't the, yeah. <laughs> the case. Yeah. It wasn't allowed. Um, okay, tell me about. So I went back to study. That's yeah. uh, that's how I got back. But then eventually, you know, you just have to come back. You know, studying is different, but living is totally a different. Um, um, issue when, when it comes to living abroad, not in your own country. So mm-hmm. I'm blessed mm-hmm. to come back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned earlier that you took a few roles on in management at that time and you realized it was actually what you want to be doing and you felt passionate about it. What was it about those roles or, you know, that time or being in, in that department that really stood out to you? In my work in the lab, it was mm. routine work. Mm. I didn't like the routine. That's, that's the difference that I saw. Um, you, you get to make, you know, decisions on a few things. You organize some, um, uh, you know, some, some aspects of the work. It's not your typical routine laboratory work. And that was, that was the thing that I just did not see myself doing mm. at that time. Even, you know, in, in, in the clinics, just seeing patients, it's the same, same diseases, same symptoms, same, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's why I wanted to go into research and I couldn't. Research gives you, gives you some insight on things that you have, you know, just seeing the unknown, trying to figure out the unknown. That was my passion. 
And I just didn't see that while, while I was working in the medical field. And it just seemed like a lot of, you know, routine work, same thing over every day. And I just thought, you know, doing some management work, those, even though it was just little tasks here and there, it was just different. It was just, you know, I feel like I was born to do that. Mm. And so because my, my education didn't help me in management, I went and studied my P, uh, the PMP. Mm-hmm. Uh, project management professionals just to give me some leverage on management. And that's, well, how I shifted now into full-time management. I actually went to, into a, a full-time management position with no management experience. <laughs> but wow. But I, the person who recruited me, he said, he looked at my CV and he said, why are you applying for this job? It's the management of an institute, mm-hmm. a female institute. You don't have any management experience. Why are you applying? I said, Try me for three months. If you don't like what I do, you know, you can, it's a trial. You mm-hmm. can just tell me, okay, it didn't work out. Just let me go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, I stayed there for about five years. With <laughs> <Wow>. them, so. <laughs> so from a three-month trial to yeah. five years. Yeah, wow. I established the institute and I um, worked out the curriculum, hired the, the staff. It was a health institute. So it worked out pretty well with my education and what I really wanted to do in management. So. Yeah, it seems like you found the happy medium between. Exactly. The two. So you didn't exactly. completely abandon what you had educated yourself on. Yeah, still, you know, it was like an intermediate step to full-time management and anything, you know. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about those five years. Break that down for me, because for someone who didn't have potentially as much experience in management as you should have, air quotes, how was that? trying to prove yourself? Uh, self-education. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of educa- self-education. Took some online courses, uh, read some books. Of course, you know, we, you don't have the, the resources as much as you have right now. So it was limited. Mm. But um, I just, you know, I consulted with other people. I just, you know, did my best um, as much as the knowledge that I had. And it worked out. Mm. Yeah. It's terrifying though. It is, because but I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I love that <laughs> because what I'm getting from you, Mona, is that you never take no for an answer. <laughs> you always come up with a, give me a trial then at least. Uh, even in the lab, you were like, give me some other tasks. So you took those kind of things on. You always wanted to do more. Where, did, where does that come from? The, the wanting to keep challenging yourself and learning. I guess it's how my parents raised me, always, you know, challenging the status quo and just, you know, I, and, and I get, have to give credit to my parents. They did a lot to educate me. And, and given the fact that I lived my childhood in the States, that's another factor that contributed to, you know, challenging and taking risks and, and all that. So um, it all starts from childhood, I guess. A hundred percent. And it, it's just the, the, uh, at that time, the choices were not there. And you just have to make those choices for yourself, I guess you can say. Mm. How do you make those choices for yourself? So a little girl is listening right now to, to our episode and she knows what's deep in her heart and she knows what she wants to do. She just doesn't know, A, if it's the right thing. B, there might not be any opportunities for her. C, there might be so many elements in life that are trying to stop her from doing that. What advice would you give? Just do it. And if someone says you're not allowed or you can't and you're not supposed to do that, if they see you do it already, you know, it either works or it doesn't work. And if it works, that's great. And if it doesn't work, say, oops, I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. it's it just 
you just have to try it. Mm-hmm. You just can't take no for an answer and say, no, okay, you're not allowed to do that. Um, of course, without breaking any rules or anything like mm-hmm. that. But if it's common sense, if a girl or a woman or has the opportunity to do something that she's able to do, and it's only the, the culture that is preventing her from, to, from doing so, then she just have to, you know, do it regardless. And if someone else tells them, you should not have done that. I say, okay, I didn't know. And they will see the results. They will see, and you will see if, you, if you're able or not able to do so. But you'll never know if you didn't try it. Mm-hmm. So you give, your, give yourself a chance to do so. Mm, the way I live is I would rather do it and fail rather than live my life knowing I didn't even try. Exactly. So those five years in management at that, at that company... Management includes managing people, which is probably one of the toughest skills ever. It is. To have to manage different personalities, egos, characters. How was that element of it for you? So remember, I didn't have management skill at that time. So it's a trial and error for me. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky to have, you know, people who are in the same boat that they want to succeed and they want me to succeed. So we worked it out together. And you did have those... Because it, it was an institute, my main issue was managing the students more than <laughs> more than the staff. Yeah, they were adults. They they didn't know, you know. That you just have to guide them in the right way. So they were tough to manage, mm. and get them, you know, um, restrict some rules, put some rules on them without giving them, you know, with giving them some freedom, but not really holding them back you need them also to because it's a women's institute mm-hmm. and you need them to express themselves as well but putting those limits that was a hard uh, hard part mm-hmm. you want them to be adults and at the same time you know you have to give them some kind of restrictions mm-hmm. so that was to me at that time the hard part harder than than the um, uh, the staff the people mm-hmm. they were very cooperative at that time and every individual is different as well. It's not a one size fits all. So you're having to one-on-one implement these kind of understanding of each person's character, their capabilities, the restrictions needed, the discipline needed. Mm-hmm. Was that the case? It was the case um, the first year, I remember. But then after that, it was like, you know, everyone is on the same boat. Mm. Everyone knows what to do. And mm. it's, you know, it, it, for the newcomers, it's kind of difficult. But then... I, I guess women supported women a lot at that time, but the lack of support was from the men. <laughs> so, <they're>, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes they're intimidated when they see a woman succeed in taking their positions and, you know, they're put obstacles mm. and, yeah, and they're in their place. So, did you experience a lot of that in those five years? I imagine now it's not even. Uh, a topic of conversation. But back in that time, was was that your main main challenge as yeah, a woman yes, leader? It, yes, it was. And not just during that institute time, even afterwards, I mm. did some consulting in project management. And I remember it was a team. I was It was a consulting job, a nine-month consulting job. So I'm there just to give them the guidelines that they need. That was like after the experience of mm-hmm. the management yeah. and the PMP. So it was in a good position to, to be a consultant. And there was a lot of resistance. You know, how do you know what, how, I, how I do my job? Who are you to give me some guidelines on how to do it? So what I did, and, and I knew it was, it's, it's a consultancy job. You know, if you give them mm-hmm. the, the do's and don'ts in the guideline, it's up to them to use it or not. But I didn't want to fail. 
-hmm. And I didn't want my hard work just to go in, in the drawers and not be implemented. So what I did is I worked with them and they resisted. And then I, I worked in their place and they were just like sitting there watching. And I just had to show them that the project management methods work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a guideline for you to use. You have to use it and this is how you use it and it works. And day by day, maybe you want to say month by month, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it worked and they started to trust me. They started to trust the method and they, they accepted later on everything that I said. But it wasn't from day one at all. Mm. You really had to, what it sounds like, earn your place, earn your position, although you were already in that position. Yep. You, would already, you already had the PMP, you already had the management experience and yet you were having to prove yourself over and over again. Is that something that you still feel is present today? No, no, not today. Now it's a different case. Mm. And I, I don't think women have to go through that as much as they did previously. Mm. Um, people are more acceptance of a woman in management or managing, managed by a woman. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different, different case. Mm. So after, after that bout as a consultant, where did the direction go for your career? So, where did I go? That was it all in Jeddah. I moved to Riyadh. Okay. And I worked for um, a, an American company that managed the uh, Taqat Centers, which is a government, um, a government program to, to put Saudis into employment. Mm-hmm. So, I was the business development manager there mm-hmm. at that company. And I knew it was a stepping stone for me. And um, basically, it was the beginning of the program. The program still exists mm-hmm. and is still strong, but there were some ups and downs at that time because it's, a, it's an initial program and they just wanted to try it. So it was a little bit difficult for Saudis at that time even to, to be part of that program. But we had mm-hmm. to push, push and push until, until they, they became like a normal mm-hmm. thing in your life that you have to go through mm-hmm. if, you're, if, you're getting, if you're having difficulties finding a job. Okay, so that kind of, that process did not exist before that. Well, we were building the process as we go because wow. it was the initial program. I was, I was there from the beginning mm. of the establishment of the program. And we were like three companies, American, British, and Australian. <laughs> so each had their own methods and process. And, and it's um, in the government was trying to see which process works best. Mm-hmm. And it's all similar. Yeah. It's all the same thing. They just say, you know, they have different ways of training, for example, this company than the other company. Because it's not just putting Saudis into a job. You have to prep them. You have to train them. You have to align them with a the job that suits them. And it took a lot of effort just to get those Saudis into interviews because mm. some of them didn't were resistant at, at that time. Why? Why? Why the resistance? Comfortable. Mm. You know, just comfortable with government support without working. Mm. And now it's different, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. You have a quote on your bio, which, which I read and I absolutely love. Uh, I'm committed to producing results above and beyond what is expected. That is so poignant for everything that you've just told us as well. You always went above and beyond. You always uh, did above your, your job role, as, as so to say. Do you think that's part of your character? Is that something that you're like on a personal level just as much as professional? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, I do. A lot of people come to me for advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, you know, 
give them the advice that they need and just go beyond that sometimes just to, you know, give them more insights or inputs on how to to do whatever that it is that they're asking to do. And it's just just never stop. Some people might say, okay, you're giving me too much information. And so, <laughs> but that's my nature, I yeah. guess. At least, again, yeah. at least you're self-aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think being a woman in management is an advantage? You know, they say that women in the workspace have a lot more empathy for their team members, you know, actually see individuals as human beings rather than just there to get the job done. What do you think? I think so. Yeah, that, that, mm. that's correct. Although it's the same thing for men now, mm-hmm. because if you don't take care of your people, regardless, male or women, if you don't take mm-hmm. care of your people, you're not going to perform. It's not a one, one man show. Yeah. I mean, your success is really dependent on the success of your team. Mm-hmm. So if you take care of your team, make sure they're in the right position, provide the right environment for them, just take care of them socially, mentally you know, financially, even in some cases, you know, they will give, they will give you what you need and they will help you succeed. They'll succeed and help you succeed. So, mm. and it's, it's the case now for both men and women. Mm. That's, that's what most companies are trying to deliver at this time. Mm. As it should be. Yeah, as equally. It should be. Yep. Um, did you have mentors during your career journey? Anyone or, you know, someone that you maybe looked up to, someone who guided you, someone who supported you? And how important do you think that role, that role is in one's career? Well, my husband and I support each other. So mm. we, we mentor each other. Yeah, <laughs> we wow. push ourselves along, you know, along the way. That was the major mentor that we have. And we mentor our kids right now. So mm. we put them on the, on the right level that they need to be. Mm. But yeah, I had some other mentors within my work. I had some people who, who I looked up to in, in, in my previous management, for example, helping me succeed in my next role. Mm-hmm. So they, they, I usually keep really good relations with my management. And, and this is what I want everyone, no matter what industry you're in, to understand is that your personal relationships with people are key to the success and growth of your career. True. Never burn bridges. Never, ever. Always keep a respectful relationship. You never know when it's going to come back around and you can help someone or they can help you. How important important is that for you now? You're in a place to, you know, I'm sure you've gathered a huge network uh, over the years of your career for you to help and advise the youth and the younger generations uh, for their career Mm -hmm. growth. So like you said, never uh, burn bridges. Mm. You always... I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have really good relationship with my previous managers. Mm. Um, usually if I, when I move from one job to the other, they're very supportive because they know it's, it's towards my growth, it's toward my career, and they're very supportive in that. And I'm doing the same thing for people who are leaving as well mm-hmm. from, from my management. They're usually, you know, going to a better position. I had an employee once who had like... I think maybe 30 or 40% increase in their salary and a job. I said, and he came to me and said, do you mind if I go? I said, go, <laughs> you know, and, and it's a better position. It's and something that I can't provide for you right now. Just go take advantage of that. And he had to, of course, leave the, the city. It was in another city. Mm-hmm. And we still maintain that relationship even after he left mm-hmm. um, as an employee, became friends as well after that. Mm. He's back, <laughs> but it helps, you know, him grow substantially. 
you know, I'm very grateful that he's still in, you know, in, in my network. Mm-hmm. And I have similar cases the same. So I'm not only keeping the relationship with my management, I'm also keeping the relationship with my employees, mm. you know, after they leave the company. Yeah, it's, it's both ways. And so I would love your, your thoughts on when someone has been serving at a job for a certain amount of time, there's no time limit whatsoever. But your advice for how you know it is time to move on, that potentially a company, you've outgrown a company, a position. Mm -hmm. How do you know it's the right time? So people leave usually, you know, if, if there's an opportunity comes or if there's a bad management that they need to, you know, run away from that Mm -hmm. management. Luckily, I didn't have that, but opportunity did come. And it's just a matter of thinking, is this the right, you know, right way for me to go or, or not? And I consult with my managers mm-hmm. most of the time. And they would say, okay, you can go. But it's, to me, it's, it's the opportunities that come up. In, but in, in general, in mm-hmm. general, for most people, people will think about moving uh, or start, you know, applying here and there if they feel like they're not contributing or if they, they feel like they're not getting the right support from their management or if they feel like that I can do more mm-hmm. and the position is not giving me any more responsibility. So those are, you know, just common causes of people looking for a job. Yeah. And if you're not looking for a job, an opportunity comes in. That's a different case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just got to evaluate at the yeah, time. Evaluate what, at what's the right time. for you. So I want to take you to now, Mona, Uh, Serco's Experience Lab. You have been a vital part of helping, you know, driving your business growth. Tell me about your time there and, and, you know, what the goal is moving forward as well. So I've been with Serco for three years now, coming closing to three years. Uh, What Serco does is advise and operate on behalf of government. Mm -hmm. So we work in the industries of defense, space, transport, health, justice and immigration, tourism, citizen services in general. Where government works, we are there. Mm -hmm. So we do, for the Giga cities, for example, they're government-owned companies, Mm -hmm. but we do a lot of advisory work for them in terms of bringing them international experience on operations Mm -hmm. and and facility and asset management and O&M, customer um, services. And we bring that experience to, to the government in terms of advisory. What uh, differentiates us from other advisory companies or mm-hmm. consultancy companies is that we operate as well. We have the experience of operations worldwide. We mm-hmm. have in, uh, in Circle Worldwide, it's around 50,000 employees working on behalf of government, working in all those sectors. But in Saudi specifically, we do advisory more than operations mm-hmm. because of the growth of, of the operations and, and the transformation that is happening. Mm. So we do have um, contracts with NEOM, with Red Sea Global, with RCJ, uh, Royal Commission of Jubail, mm-hmm. Royal Commission of Al-Ula. So we have those consult- Aramco as well, consultancy mm-hmm. projects and operations right now, um, just uh, on the spot. And we're growing, and we're growing. Yeah, yeah. wow. I mean, this is all part of, you know, a vision for the kingdom, Vision 2030. You know, we're globally hearing about this vision and this movement, so to say. How has it been internally in the kingdom? Yeah, well, for Circo, it's bringing visions, national visions to life. That's Mm -hmm. our motto. So 
of course, in the it, there's only eight years to go, I think, yep. <laughs> until the vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have seen improvements since 2016 when the vision started. I mean, people, it's moving very fast. And uh, things are just, maybe in two years, we will see, you know, some uh, tangible um, growth. But it, it, regardless of the Giga cities or the Giga projects, the vision is, is in all aspects of of government, whether it's health, education, transport, tourism. So we have seen a big drastic change in the culture and the services that the government is providing and the people and in, in the infrastructure. I mean, we're going digital more than any other country has advanced mm-hmm. in terms of how fast we're growing. So we're seeing the, the vision come to life. And in eight years, I'm maybe even less than eight years, we will see our goals in many of the ministries already achieved. Mm, Absolutely, no doubt that that's going to happen. Mona, before we wrap up this episode, which I have enjoyed so, so much, I'd like to ask you one final question is, what is the next dream for you? What is the next goal (laughs) for Mona Al-Thagafi? Well, since I'm part of a company that brings vision, national visions to life, I would like to continue with that with, you know, with, with Saudi government as well and um, go beyond the vision and what we can provide in terms of services, in terms of cultural uh, uh, differentiators, just bringing Saudi to the world mm-hmm. and bringing the world to Saudi, as you can say, mm. in terms of um, best knowledge and best experience. So I am I'm doing a lot of consulting for the next generation in terms of management skills and mm-hmm. what is needed to advance in their career. So I see myself a lot of a, a mentor in that way while still doing, you know, the work that I love to do. Mm-hmm. And during my career, I've been on and off with government projects, mostly government projects. And I guess, you know, I guess I'll continue to serve the the kingdom in that way mm-hmm. <laughs> until, you know, we go beyond the vision. Yeah, mm, Absolutely. Well, Mona, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Your first podcast did you enjoy it yes very much so i'll take that thank you so much thank you for having uh, me yeah have a wonderful day thank you so much thanks women in leadership brought to you by heron code